turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. The title of my message, and I'm not great on titles. Sometimes Ruth says, you know, your titles are boring. And, uh, you know, your, your title is supposed to entice people to tune in, right? Or to listen in. And, and sometimes I, I have I do have boring titles. And uh, sometimes I have titles that don't have anything to do with my message. It's because, you know, sometimes you don't know which way you're going, right? And uh, But uh, today I have titled this message, What Chair Are You Sitting In? How many of you know where you're sitting? <laughs> In relation to... Uh, um, the context of your life. How many of you know where you are? Where you're sitting? And uh, uh, more about that in a minute, but let's look in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Very familiar scripture. Very powerful admonition and great promise. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. There's an order to life. There are priorities in life. He says, seek you first. Everybody say first. first. That doesn't mean second. Doesn't mean third or fifth or last or never. But first. You know, some people live out their whole lives and never even give thought or consideration to the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Many so-called Christians live their lives with God in reserve. He's just there for when I need an emergency answer, a miracle, uh, a sign and a wonder. But I keep him on the shelf and save up God's uh, very precious and limited energy for when I really need him. How many of you know that's not, that's not God? God, God grow. The more, the more you make use of God, the more He grows, and the more powerful He becomes in your life. But He says, "Seek ye first the kingdom of His of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you." These things are in reference to what He was talking about earlier when He said, "You know." Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to drink and eat. Don't worry about where you're going to live like the heathen do, like the Gentiles do, because God knows you have need of these things. But He said, you put first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things, all the food, the clothing, the raiment, you know, the shelter, the protection, the security, all these things that the unbelieving world seeks after, I'll just add it to you. How many of you have lived long enough and served God long enough to know this is the absolute truth? Amen. Well, when he says seek first, he, it implies, like I said, priority, but it also implies commitment to something. Make it a decision that you're, you're going to live this way. I'm going to live not for things and not for feelings and not even for myself, but I'm going to live for God. 
Remember when the lawyer came to Jesus and Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all? Jesus said, the greatest commandment of all is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Amen? So Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with what? All. Everybody say A-L-L means all. Amen? Amen? We've, had, we've talked about that. We understand. We've got a good grip on the English language. We know what all means. Well, do you know what first means? First of all, we're to seek God. First of all, we're to love God. Above all else, even family. Ooh. Ooh. But Jesus said, if you love your father and your mother and your brethren more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. He said that. Matter of fact, uh, he in the King James, he used a very strong word. He said, if you hate, if you... And that word hate doesn't mean hate like you think it means. It means, it means in, in terms of priority. Your love for God compared to your love for your family should be like love and hate. And everybody loves their family. He's not telling you don't love your family. But he said in comparison and by contrast, it should be like you love God and you hate your family. Jesus put it that way. Amen. Whoa. That, 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 to me, that implies commitment. Serious commitment. Commitment to serving God, seeking God, loving God, and knowing God above all else. Above all else. Amen? Well, let's get back to talking about chairs for a moment. We've got lots of chairs here that we're not using. And uh, we, we've got them stacked around the walls. I don't like the way that looks. But to store them in a climate-controlled room would cost us quite a bit of money. I'm not quite ready to get rid of them because I'm hoping we'll need them. And uh, they do serve a purpose. They are baffling, you know, with this concrete floor and the way this room is constructed. If we didn't have these chairs lined up, We'd have, uh, we'd have acoustical problems. I, I brought in my good friend, Jay Perdue, who's now in heaven. He came in here and he, uh, you know, he's in the acoustical business. He was the world's foremost uh, expert on acoustics. He would hold classes for architects and charge them, you know, $5,000 to come to his class. And being that he was a personal friend of mine, he, uh, he was here in Jacksonville, you know, bidding on a job downtown for the city of Jacksonville. And, uh, and he came by and said, hey, I'll come by your place and, and see, if, see what I can do for you. He says, as long as you got these chairs, you don't need any of those wall baffling. But he said, as soon as, uh, as, soon as you, you know, need them, you can get rid of the chairs or something. He said, I'll send you a box of samples and you can just put them on the wall. I should have asked him to send them right away. I didn't know he was going to die, you know. Now we'll probably have to buy the samples. But, uh, you know, he said, he said, a room this size, just my sample box would do. And I said, okay. And hopefully, hopefully we can get them in the right color. Amen. Anyway, but chairs, chairs are important. 
chairs imply a lot of things. And I remember when, uh, when I was in the second grade, my teacher was Mrs. Dairy, like Dairy Farmer. And uh, uh, my first grade teacher was Mrs. Rainwater. She's about four foot six. And uh, I thought she was a giant because I was in the first grade. And, uh, you know, but I, she managed to get me through and into the second grade. And in the second grade, uh, I remember that classroom very well. At the front of the classroom, they had the chalkboard, the bulletin board, and all that. And above the chalkboard, uh, along the, uh, just below the ceiling, was uh, the alphabet. These really nice cards, A, B, C, all the way through Z. And uh, I sat in the back of the room, and at that, at that time I was, I was nearsighted, and I didn't know it. Nobody else knew it. I didn't know there was a wall back there behind that teacher. <laughs> you know, but I sat in the back. Well, about uh, oh, uh, two months before the end of the second grade, the teacher now, Mrs. Mrs. Derry, announced that if you did not know the alphabet by memory, you would not be promoted to the third grade. All of a sudden, I realized I had a problem because it was always up there. And I knew if I needed to know what those letters were or what order they were in, all I had to do is walk up there and, and, uh, and you know, so why bother to memorize? I'm not going to crowd my brain with unnecessary knowledge. I didn't know I was really prepared for the, you know, the cell phone age and the computer age where everything is done for you. You don't have to even remember your own phone number. Somebody asked me my phone number the other day and I had to look it up yeah. on my phone. And, uh, you know, but how many of you know what I'm talking about? We, we've gotten mentally lazy. Well, I was mentally lazy in the second grade. I thought, hey, it's up there on the wall. Why should I have to remember it? You know, but then she said I couldn't get promoted unless I go to the, you know, unless I could quote the alphabet. Now, I know you guys, you know, I'm from the 50s. Back in my day, we didn't have genius kids that could read and write and say the alphabet when they were three years old. Now we do. I don't know what happened. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know if we 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 start producing smarter babies, or if maybe we just start teaching them earlier. But I think that's it. But back in my day, we I didn't even go to kindergarten. My mother said, "Is it required?" And they said, "No." And she said, "I ain't gonna mess with it." So I didn't. I didn't go to kindergarten. I started first grade two months before I turned, uh, you know, seven years old. And I didn't know how to read. I didn't know how to read anything. I mean, I didn't spend any time in the house reading. There was no look-see spot run for me to read. You know, we played out in the yard. We dug in the yard. We tried. We buried ourselves in the backyard. We did all kinds of. You know, we were we were boys. Didn't have no time for no education. And so I'm in the. I'm at the end of the second grade, and I still don't know the alphabet. How dumb is that? And uh, and so. I, I all of a sudden I got serious because I didn't want to be held back. I was already, I already started kind of, you know, back then you you know if your birthday happened after September first, you you waited another year to go to school, and my birthday's in October, so I was kind of a late starter, and uh, I made up for it later in life. But uh, at that time, you know, I felt behind already, and uh, and so. 
I said, I'm, I'm committed to learning the alphabet. So I went to the teacher and I said, you know, I don't see too good from the back row and I need to memorize that chart up there. Is it okay if you move me to the front row seat? And she did. She put poor some girl back in the back and put me up front on the front row and I'd sit there all day, every spare moment, staring at that alphabet until I memorized, I memorized it in about a month. And I got promoted to the third grade. Woo-hoo! But I noticed that the chair I was sitting in was determined by the, my commitment to learn. What chair are you sitting in this morning? First Sunday of 2024. How would you measure your commitment by the chair you're sitting in? <laughs> and I'm not speaking in any way relative to where you're sitting in this room. I'm not picking on anybody. Don, so you can relax. <laughs> Amen. And Ruth, that don't make you know nothing important. Okay. All right. I'm just I'm I'm speaking big, bigger and beyond that. Amen. So uh, third grade, my third grade teacher was Mrs. Spoon, not Mrs. Miss Miss Spoon, and she she was built like olive oil on Popeye cartoons, and but she was a good teacher. Isn't it amazing I can remember these people? And uh, and Miss Miss Spoon, what I remember about chairs in her class was one corner of the of the classroom there was a circle of chairs, and it was called the reading corner. And every day, at some point during the day, she would we would go and we would sit uh, in this in these chairs that formed the reading circle, and we would read out loud. But we didn't just go sit in any chair. She had an order to things. And, and she would put the strongest reader in the first chair and the second strongest reader in the last chair. And if you were in the middle of the chairs, that meant you were the weakest reader in the class. And so there was a pecking order and a status. Your goal was to be in either the first chair or the last chair because those were the chairs reserved for the best readers. Amen. And so everybody wanted to be on the end chairs. And uh, if you were in the middle chair, you felt like the, the dummy of the class. Nobody wanted to be in that chair. And so we were vying all year long to get in the, the number one reading spot. Amen. And uh, uh, fortunately, you know, some for some reason I made it a goal and, uh, and before the end of the year, I was sitting in the lead chair. I was the best reader in the class. You're talking about a kid who didn't even know his alphabet coming into the class. Well, barely knew the alphabet. But by the end of my third grade year, I was in the top number one reading chair in the class. And that held me good stead for the rest of my life. How many of you know that set up this preacher boy? To study, to learn, and to read. If I had, you know, if you don't read, you don't lead. Because because leaders read, readers lead. Amen. Well, then I get then I in the fourth grade. Everybody say fourth grade. In the fourth grade, they started breaking us up where we'd move from one class to another. We'd have math class, English class, and and one of the classes they offered was orchestra. 
And my dad, being a car dealer, he would take every, anything and everything in as a trade-in on used cars. And, and somebody traded in a violin. And, and it just so happened that it hit right when it was time to sign up for that class. So I signed up uh, to play the violin in the school band, school orchestra. Mr. Rose, R-O-S-E, was our, was our orchestra director. And, uh, and man, I went in there with my, my violin and, and uh, you know, we played. He told us where we were going to sit and everything. And I'm sitting in the first chair playing that violin. At least I thought. I thought I was in the first chair. But as time went on, I began to realize that I wasn't in the first chair. I was in the last chair. And now the first chair is the one that received all the honors and all of the solos and all of the special you know, privileges. The last chair was absolutely and totally ignored. Except for the occasional time that he took me to the janitor's closet and borrowed a board from the janitor and walloped me real good. Because, you know, being in the last chair, there's really not much commitment required of you. And so you get to play. And pick on the guy who's in the chair next to you, Bill McConnell. Me and Bill McConnell, we had fun in orchestra. And at the end of the year, Mr. Rose says, do not come back next year. Have you ever not been invited back? Well, that kind of set me up for a few times in my life when I was not going to be invited back. But not because I wasn't. Um, not because I was playing, but because of other reasons. But my commitment was blatantly revealed uh, in that setting, and it was embarrassing. I had to tell my mom and dad that Mr. Rose asked me not to come back next year. My dad says, well, so can I sell your violin? I said, please. <laughs> For To me, it was just a screeching machine. Now I wish I had been committed because I would love to play the violin. I would love to be able to play like some of the people I know. I had a chance. I had an opportunity and I blew it because I wasn't committed. And it determined what chair I sat in. Commitment will put you in the front chair, first chair, and lack of commitment will put you in the last chair and get you to be invited not to come back. Amen. Well, as time went on, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I was getting older and I joined the junior high band. I just wanted to be in the band. I, I wanted to be close to music. You know, I, I love music. I wanted, to be, I wanted to be in the band. And my dad says, well, you can be in the band, but don't expect me to buy you an instrument. You got to play one of the instruments that belongs to the school. And so my name being Thomason, <laughs> It starts with a T. By the time they got around to me, they had passed out all the tubas and all of the, uh, you know, the, the real instruments I bought. And when they got down to me, the only thing left was to be in the percussion section, and a drummer. And my dad said, that's fine. You know, he said, I'll buy you a pair of drumsticks, but I'm not going to buy you any drums. Mama doesn't want that noise in the house. And the pastor says, well, I don't believe in drums in the church. I mean, my pastor didn't want drums in the church. 
and there was no place for drums in my house, no place for drums in the church. So the only time I ever got to touch a drum was at school. But I loved it. Now, with those drumsticks, I, 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 would, I would be at home going on the doorpost and on the bedpost and all around the house until I was shouted out. But I was committed. I was committed not to be invited to not come back. Does that make sense? Not to be invited to not come back. Anyway, and so I applied myself. And do you know, by the time I was in the eighth grade, I was first chair drummer in the ninth grade orchestra. And I remained first chair drummer uh, throughout my, my uh, uh, ninth, tenth, and eleventh grade in, in high school. And the first chair drummer got to pick what he wanted to play. I picked the snare drum during orchestra. And I, you know, and sometimes I would play the cymbals and, you know, you know, you know how the percussion section works. We had a timpani player and I would play, I'd play that, you know, in, when I got in high school. And then on, you know, we went to all the football games and in marching band, I wanted to be the bass drummer. You say, why would you want to be the bass drummer? Because I set the pace for the whole band marching out on the field. We'd play, yeah, how many of you familiar with the song Wipeout? We would play Wipeout on the drums as we're standing on, in the end zone before we came out on the field at halftime. And then we marched out on the field. We were high-stepping with those drums playing Wipeout. And I've got the bass drum and I'm going, mm, boom, 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 boom. And it was impressive, I'm telling you. And uh, and and I was I was you know I was involved in the halftime show in all of our football games, home games and and away games, which meant we got to ride in the band bus along you know out of town because half our games were out of town, and uh, and and the cheerleaders rode on the band bus. But I was committed, and by that time I had been—I had become born again. And being a born again Christian, I didn't want to ride in the back of the bus because that's where the cheerleaders rode, and the guys that wanted to make out with them. So guess where I rode? Being a committed Christian, committed to God, and committed to being a good—a a good member of the band, I sat on the front row behind the bus driver. Me and Brother Charles, my, my, my good friend Charles, uh, who's, who uh, was with me all through high school, uh, we, we sat on the front row because we were the confessing, professing Christians right. in the band. So it made a difference in the band room, in the orchestra room. It made a difference on the bus what chair we were sitting in. The chair you pick to sit in is going to make a difference. It's going to determine what you will settle for and what you won't settle for. It says a lot about you and your attitude towards life. When I when I started, uh, you know, I grew up in church. I grew up in South Lawn Assembly of God Church. And it was a great church. We averaged about 135, 150 people. Back in those days, that was a good, strong church. And, uh, and a lot of good folks in the church, a lot of family in the church. 
And, um, you know, uh, my mother and dad, they loved, they chose the back row. They had five kids, and they said, that's why. It was, my, it was our fault that, that the Thomason family sat on the back row. I found out later, because my dad smoked a cigarette, and every now and then he wanted to slip out. And wanted to go slip out unnoticed. Of course, when he came back in, you know what he smelled like. And he was never unnoticed. But he, he was fooling himself. But at the same time, you know, that's why they sat on the back row. Well, I found out if I sat on the back row, as a young, young 12, 13, 14-year-old, I got called down a lot from the pulpit. You boys back there, settle down. I got the wrong kind of attention. And I was distracted by everything. I mean, I remember... I remember this one girl. Oh, that's another story. Anyway, I mean, it, it, it was easy to get distracted. It was, it was easy to let your mind wander. And I was missing, I was missing you know, 60-80% of what was coming across the pulpit. And I knew that. I knew that. I knew. And I was always getting in trouble at church. And so, I decided, you know, I'm going to change things. And I made the front seat, the center of the, we had three aisles like this with pews, and the center aisle, middle of the aisle, middle of the, of the pew was my seat. I sat right under the pulpit, right down front. I could see my pastor's nose hairs. And when he spit, I got baptized, anointed. <laughs> It wasn't that bad. He was he was an awesome preacher. But I'm telling you what, I didn't miss anything. I didn't get called down or called out. Hallelujah. I didn't get in trouble. I didn't get distracted. Nothing stood between me and the Word of God. And, and I believe that the choice, that choice of choosing that seat in that auditorium has made a difference in my life. You see, the, the chair you choose to sit in is going to determine the course of your life. Are y'all getting the message this morning? Well, I mentioned I was in high school band in the 11th grade. Uh, was was 10th, 11th grade was when I really surrendered to the call of God on my life to be a preacher. And I began to question everything I was doing. How does this relate to my chosen calling how does playing in the stage band for sound of music and south pacific musicals how is that how is that going to enhance my life as a preacher and the after football game mixers where i'm the drummer and they're out there dancing to the beat of my drums. And they're acting like fools. Demon-possessed people out there on the dance floor. All to the beat of my drum. How is this enhancing my life and chosen calling as a preacher? And how is getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning, or being at school at 7 o'clock in the morning for orchestra rehearsal and staying till six o'clock after school for marching uh, band and marching 
practice and missing missing revival meetings at the church because I'm off on a football game or I'm off at uh, some uh, uh, other school event. How 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 is how is that helping this? And I begin to realize I'm going to have to make choices in life. Things that I enjoy doing and I love to do, I'm good at, first chair, versus what I need to do, what I'm called to do, and what I'm sent to do. And I'll remember going to my band director, Mr. Bledsoe, and saying, I will not be uh, in the band next year. Mr. Bledsoe, cursed at me and called me horrible things. And I said, thank you, Mr. Bledsoe. And he said, what are you thanking me for? I said, you've just, you've just proved to me I made the right decision. <laughs> and I did not, I did not, you know, I did not continue on band and orchestra. And I freed myself up and I was in church every night of the week. If my church wasn't having revival meetings, somebody's church was. And my, you see, I had made the commitment that I'm going to do this and I want to be good at it and I want to be faithful and I want to be the best that I can be. I may not be a Billy Graham or an Oral Roberts, but I'm going to be Ronnie Thomason, the one that God called me to be. And so that means I'm going to have to let go of some things. I'll never forget, I'm riding on the back of a Harley Davidson motorcycle with Tony Martinez. We pull into my driveway and he's dropping me off at my house and I turned to Tony and I said, Tony, it's obvious to me that you have no interest in serving God. And he said, no, why would I want to do that? I'm having too much fun. Tony was, a, was raised Roman Catholic. His sister was very devout and beautiful and smart. She was valedictorian of, our, of my graduating class. But Tony was a dummy. He was stupid, foolish, made bad choices in life. And, uh, and there I was riding around on a motorcycle with him. And I, I got off the motorcycle that last time and I said, Tony, because you choose not to serve God and I choose to serve God, we cannot run together. And I said, I'm sorry. I love you, man. I'll do anything for you if it, if it helps you find God and get to heaven. I bought him Bibles, you know, he'd just throw them in the trash. And I, I said, you know, I, I just you're just the wrong company for me. And I've got to hang out with people who have the same uh, uh, priorities that I do. And he just kind of laughed it off, drove off, drove around the corner, down a few blocks, and a woman pulled out in front of him and hit him on his motorcycle and busted up his hip and his thigh bone. He was in traction for six months. I went to see him every day. Took him Bibles. He'd throw them in the trash. I'd go buy another one. Took him, you know. I tried my best to witness to him while he's laying there in traction. And he rejected, he rejected, rejected. I knew I had made the right decision. I, did, I didn't stop loving him. But I stopped hanging out with him. Keeping company with him. And he later got in trouble with the law. He got in drugs. He... He died at the age of 50 without God. And uh, if I hadn't made that decision, I would have been still, I might have still been on that motorcycle with him. So, being in the right chair, and in that case, motorcycle seat, 
being in the right chair can save your life. Amen. Amen. But I made decisions back in. These are all decisions I made, Robert, when I was your age. Are you are you getting my drift? I may be preaching to you a chance. Amen. These are decisions I made before I was twenty years old. I, I was deciding all the time. I was deciding what chair I was going to sit in, and I didn't know I was thinking chairs, but I was making priority decisions. Amen. Praise God. When I got to the university, I wanted I wanted to attend uh, you know a Bible school because I'm called to be a preacher. So I visited the Bible school. I visited, I visited Central Bible School in, in Springfield, Missouri, Evangel Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. I went down to Waxahachie, Southwestern Assemblies of God uh, Bible School. I even visited Oral Roberts University. Uh, and and uh, God just wouldn't, he, he just wouldn't release me. He, doors did not open. Nothing happened. Um, you know, on my way to Oral Roberts University, I had a, I had a, Car wreck totaled my car, and back in those days, I took that as a sign that I didn't, that God didn't want me to go to Old Roberts University, and so I wound up at West Texas State University, twenty-seven miles from my home, my house. Secular university, ungodly professors, but somebody had given me a Dake's Bible for my high school graduation one of my Sunday school teachers. And I took that Dake's Bible and for four years of college, secular college, I went there, I went there, my dad says, I don't mind, I don't mind you being a preacher, but you need to you need a trade to fall back on. And so I, you know, I chose to be, get a school teaching uh, certificate. And so I went and got an education degree from secular university, but all the time I'm going, all those four years, my my Bible college was at Dex Bible. I took it to class with me. And now that I always knew which chair to sit in, even though I had classes by then, I always sat front and center right in front of the professor. And my Dex Bible was right on the left-hand corner of my desk. And when they started talking about the Cro-Magnum man as evidence of evolution, I'd open that up, raise my hand, and I said, well, you know, it says right here in the margin of my Bible that the Cro-Magnum man was discovered to be just, just uh, a jawbone from a pig. Yeah. That they fabricated this whole theory about a, a, a prehistoric man. Yeah. And, and they, they've discovered that, that, you know, that, that that was just a pig bone. Where are you good at that? I said, out of my Bible. I said, y'all read your Bible, Mr. Smith. You know, and and I was always in their faces. And the reason for that wasn't because I was I was a smart mouth and I was wanting to cause trouble. I wanted to I wanted to get the degree, and I wanted to have a good grade point average, but I didn't. I wound up with like a two point five grade point average. Because I challenged all these ungodly teachers with their ungodly words because all around me I would see these young people that were in my classmates, I would see their faith fading away. Because, and listen folks, this was 1968 
69, 70, 71, 72. And if you you think it was bad then, and it was bad then, I I saw whole classes of of good old West Texas, Bible Belt, Bible believing, Baptist, Methodist, whatever kids come to that college and lose their faith in God. And if you think it's better now, you're a nutcase. I wouldn't send I wouldn't send my kids to any any college, university, or Bible school unless I had unless I checked it out and made sure. And you can't go by what they say. Oh well, we're moving to this part of town, and we're putting our kids in public school because they're the highest rated one of the highest rated school districts in the state. Whoop dee do? Who's rating them? Are you rating them? Have you read their textbooks? Have you interviewed their teachers? Do you know that every teacher that my children had, I personally interviewed and hired? And if they didn't toe the line, I fired. I was really, you know, I was committed. My kids are going to sit in the right chair, in the right building, with the right teachers, with the right textbooks. Hello. I was visiting with a preacher the other day, and he's his grandkids were going to uh, one of the schools I mentioned. I'm not going to say which one. Supposed to be like a flagship school of the whole organization and all that kind of stuff. It's where they have all their doctoral programs and all their, you know, a lot of their preachers come out of. And he said that he was he was uh, talking to the the kid that goes going to school there, and they were telling him what the teachers were teaching. He said that school is one of the most woke schools in America. This and this is a church school. This is a church seminary. And they were teaching the students that if you're white, you need to apologize to people of color for the way you've treated them because everything that's wrong in this world is because you're white. You know what I did? In my mind, I took out my list of schools to recommend kids to go to and I, I, put, a, I put a mark through that school. No more. Oh, by the way, I marked out Old Roberts University a long time ago. Because Old Roberts is in heaven. He has nothing to do with that school and the people that run it uh, know not God. It's Old Roberts University in name only. The world is in charge of that school. I'm just telling you. I've got friends that have their kids there right now. But I'm, I'm just telling you. I wouldn't. I sent Heather there in the '90s and drew her out, withdrew her from that school because of stuff that was going on there in the '90s. And I did. I'm just telling you, the chair you sit in, the chair you put your child in, is important. Amen. I hear story after story after story of men and women of God who send their kids off to college, and those kids come home liberals. Flaming liberals. 
I'm, I'm just telling you. And it doesn't matter what that school used to be like or was like when you attended it. And that public school you graduated from? <laughs> Amen. I'm telling you. It's a sad case. What are we going to do? Well, we're, we're going to start having to make serious decisions. We're going to have to get committed to our own children's education. I won't say any more there. I've got sermons. I've got lots of sermons on that subject. But not today. So, this year at Cornerstone Church, are you in the chair of commitment? Or are you sitting in the seat of compromise? If you want to turn with me to Psalm chapter 1, I don't have this in my notes, Brother Chris, but you can find it. Psalm 1 in the King Jimmy. <laughs> Amen. You know, I, I, I talk bad about King James a lot, you know. And uh, I've got good reason to. Historically, um, uh, his, uh, his work was very political. And uh, the translators took a lot of license uh, with the, their translating. But thank God that there, there, was, a, there is, was and is a King James Version. Because uh, we all grew up with it. And that's, that's how we came to know the Word of God. You can come to know God even if, if even if the translation is not perfect. But uh, Psalm 1, I love the way it, it's put in the King James. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither and whatever he doeth shall prosper blessed is the man who does not stand in or does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly what is counsel it's teaching it's in, it's indoctrination it's doctrine Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, where in the Bible does God approve of you hiring an ungodly teacher to train your child? You want your child blessed? Then don't teach them with the counsel of the ungodly. You say, oh, well, our, you know, our, our child's teacher is a Christian. Well, how many of you know that that doesn't mean they're sitting in the right chair? Your Christian teacher of your child could be could have been the dummy in his class. And what do they use when they teach? They use what we call curriculum, textbooks. Where are the textbooks published? Who publishes them? Who decides what goes into them? Have you read them? Are you aware of the counsel of that, that your children are being given? Now I know I'm talking to a lot of grandparents here, but we are videoing this, and this, you know, it potentially will go all over the world. This is applicable to the world. Amen. You're gonna you're gonna take your child and send it to a Buddhist school. 
They're going to make a Buddhist out of him. You're going to take your child and send him to a, a Hindu school? They're going to make a Hindu out of him. You're going to send your child to a humanist school? They're going to make a humanist, an atheist out of him. Amen? You know what the schools are in the United States of America? They are humanist schools. They're anti-religion. And their religion is humanism. Their magazine, their, 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 um, um, their statement of faith, if you please, states the public school is our, is our classroom and the public school teacher is our, our uh, pulpit. And they've had control for so many years now that they've produced generations of kids that don't know God. Well, if your purpose is having a child that knows God, then why put them in a humanist environment? Well, we want them to be well-adjusted. Oh, yeah, they're well-adjusted. They commit suicide on the same uh, percentages as everybody else's kids. They do drugs on the same percentages as everybody else's kids. They have... They have uh, Illicit sex on the same percentages of ever. They get pregnant as many times. They have abortions as many times. Yeah, you, you, you've got them really well socially adjusted. They're just like them. Well, is that what you want for your kids and your grandkids? That they grow up be just like the world around them? Committing suicide, getting, getting pregnant out of wedlock, living together before they're married, and all that garbage that goes on in the world? Is that what you want your child to be like? Well, then by all means... Put them in the chair in the public school room. Well, what's my alternative? You know the alternative. you got to do it yourself. <laughs> Amen. When you get to heaven and you stand before the Lord, He's not going to judge your teacher. He's not going to judge your child's public school teacher. He's going to judge you because Deuteronomy chapter 6 says fathers. Fathers. Bring up your children in the way that they should go. He didn't say mothers either. He said fathers. The judgment's going to come down on the dads. All right. And that's the problem with the world. We have, we have dads that are mentally, physically, morally absent. Okay. So this year, are you in chair number one? Or are you in the dummy chair? There was another chair. In several of my, the classrooms I, I attended growing up, and it was in the corner, and it faced the wall. Now, I never wore the hat, but my, my teachers, they would draw a circle on the wall, and they'd say, you sit there and put your nose in that circle. And I remember every time I was in that chair with my nose in that circle, I'd wonder who else's nose had been there. And I wondered if they'd washed that circle before they put my nose in it. And you know, you wonder, you have plenty of time to think about it. And I was in that, you know, or I was, I was, uh, I was a very outstanding student. Yeah, I was outstanding in the hall a lot. Back in those days, if you if they didn't like what you were doing in class, they'd put you out in the hall. And I, I remember one time I was I was standing out there in the hall, and the coach came by, Coach Davidson. Coach Davidson had a beautiful daughter. Her name was Dina. And, uh, well, that's another story. But anyway, Coach Davidson, he'd walk past me. And he'd say, oh, how you doing, Ronnie? Out in the hall again, I see. 
But you see, I decided I didn't I didn't want to be sitting in the seat of the scornful or standing in the in the way of sinners. When you stand in the way of sinners, you wind up outside in the hall. When you sit in the seat of the scornful, you got your nose in the corner. So I decided to make a commitment. I was going to be outstanding in another way. And I got saved. And by the time I was in I was in high school, I was called, hey, preach all over the school. Everybody knew me as someone who didn't stand in the corner, but I took a stand. They wanted me in the National Honor Society. They invited me to join the National Honor Society. I said, I'd be honored to. And, uh, and so I joined, and then they said, well, there's going to be this initiation. And I said, yeah, what is it? And they said, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to come to school and drag. You're going to have to wear pantyhose and a dress and a bra and lipstick and rouge and earrings and bracelets and, and high heels. And uh, I said, that's what I've got to do to be in the honor, honor society. Oh, no, no, no. That's just our traditional initiation. And I said, no. Well, then I got, uh, I got summoned to the principal's office. Wendy, W.W. W. Wendy Necklace. Former mayor of Amarillo, Texas. Principal of my high school. Deacon on the board at the First United Methodist Church downtown. Outspoken Christian. He calls me into his office and he says, now, I hear you're not willing to do the initiation. And I said, well, you know, the Bible says. Well, they don't like it when you say that. I said, Bible says thou shalt not wear clothes pertaining unto a woman. And, uh, and the Bible says I'm not supposed to, you know, pretend to be a woman. And, uh, and you know, all of that. And he said, well, I've been principal of this school since its beginning. And never have we had anyone object. We've had many Christians in this school. I'm a Christian. Most of the teachers in this school are a Christian. No one has ever objected until you. And I said, well, I said, I, 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 I'm not going to do it. I am not going to do it. And he said, well, we'll have to find some other form of uh, initiation for you. And they did. You know, they, they, took, they gave me a toothbrush and a cup full of soapy water, and they sent me out to uh, scrub the sidewalk while the school body stood by and jeered and scorned and mocked. But I wasn't alone. Two of my friends who had just been, in, uh, what do you call it? Im integrated. They had just been integrated into our school from George Washington Carver High School. Elisha and Elijah Demerson, two twins, who were also Christians, called into the ministry. As I'm walking out of Mr. Nicholas' office, they are sitting there waiting to go in. And they go in, all right. And I hear as the door is closing, we will not dress up like women. So the three of us, the three of us, me and the two black brothers, were out there scrubbing the seal, scrubbing the sidewalk uh, with our toothbrushes. But we took a stand. We would not sit in the seat of the scornful. 
nor would we stand in the way of sinners. And when we graduated, we all graduated members of the National Honor Society with honors. Elisha Demerson was the first black man to be appointed to West Point in the history of Texas. And Elisha Demerson was the first elected county judge in Texas history. And I'm the, you know, I'm the loser among the group. You know, I, I, never, I wasn't the first of anything. But anyway, they're still friends of mine. Church of God and Christ pastors today. And so, you know, uh, when you take a stand, you're actually taking a seat. Amen. You're choosing where you're going to sit. Now, I got good news for you. If you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, this scripture applies to you. We are made joint heirs with Christ. Heirs of God. And we are raised together with Him. And we're made to sit together with Him in heavenly places. If you choose the right chair, you'll get to sit with Jesus in heavenly places. Man, oh man, you can't beat a deal like that. Amen. Amen. So you got to set priorities. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with, the, with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's our example. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.12, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. That sounds like commitment. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now let me read that in the Filipino, the Philippian New Passion Translation. You got it yet, brother? Alright. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. How many of you are there? You, you admit you haven't, you haven't acquired the absolute fullness of what you're pursuing. But I run with passion into His abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. In 2024, which is where we are today. I'm at the age of 73. Many, many places I go, I'm the oldest person in the room. Not everywhere. Not here, certainly. 
but in Nepal and Zambia and Honduras, places like that, many places I go. And they look at me like, how long are you going to keep this up? <laughs> most people, you know, taxi driver in Kathmandu, he looked at me and he said, most people your age in our country are homebound. He said, how do you do that? And I said, well, I keep the old man out. <laughs> Ruth will tell you, you know, we really work at keeping this youthful figure. <laughs> I mean, she's plucking hairs out of my ears and out of my eyebrows. And, and you know, she's got that wax thing going and stick it up my nose and my ears and let it dry and just yank. Oh, Lord. I mean, it's painful, but it's necessary. I, I, I've got to where I can't hardly reach my toes, and so she, she trims my toenails. Hallelujah. What a wife. What a servant of the Lord. I'm telling you, and we work. You know, you, you, go, to, you go into our bathroom, you're going to see, you're going to see her perfumes and her oils and her ointments and all her smelly good things. And then over on my side, you're going to see colognes and you're going to see body sprays. and you're Because I don't want to smell like an old man. Got a bottle of, of uh, spray peroxide on my sink and uh, an array of toothbrushes, electric and hand-held and, you know, and picks and all kinds of things. So that my my I, my teeth will at least stay clean. They've never been straight. I've never had straight teeth. My wisdom tooth grew in horizontally and pushed all of my teeth together. They're still in there, by the way. They wanted too much money to cut them out. And so you know, I'll I'll go to my grave looking, you know, with this you know the crowded teeth look, but at least they're going to be clean. And we, we spend a lot of money on mouthwash and mints and breathwash. In our house, you can't go into a single room of our house without finding a, a can of aerosol spray. Because we're old farts in that sense. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? So, you know, life happens and we spray. We brush. Now, I usually brush once a day, uh, once in a while, twice a day. You know, Ruth brushes every time she goes into the bathroom. And in the night, when she, when she gets up to go use the bathroom, I'll hear her in there gargling with Listerine. Because she don't want to come to bed and breathe bad breath on me. I, I want to tell you something. We, we work hard at not smelling old. We don't like that old, musty urine smell. Wendy, you know what I'm talking about. You go to places like that, and so does... You go into these homes that, man, it just reeks. You come in our house, it ain't going to smell like that. It may smell like tacos, but it's not going to smell like... You know. What am I saying? I'm saying we're committed. We're committed to keep the old man out. Because even at the age of 73, I'm committed... Listen, I'm committed beyond my age and beyond my finances and beyond how good I feel, beyond my reserve energy, beyond what I have done before, I'm committed to go and fulfill the call of God on my life. I'm committed to go on this year, 
I'm determined to go on a minimum of three missionary journeys. I'm like the Apostle Paul. Amen. I'm pressing. I'm pressing. And, and it is a it is a press. It's a physical press. It's a financial press. It, it's a strain. I bought tickets before Christmas to Nepal. I'm going to Nepal with Adam Culp and uh, Sean Strong. We're going to introduce Sean Strong into that. See what happens. We may set the country on fire. Who knows? But I, I'm telling you, I want to be there. I need to be there. You know, our general overseer called me. He called me from Atlanta the other day, and he says, "I want you there." I said, "Well, I've got a ticket. I bought it on my American Express, and I'm going, and I'm believing God." He says, "Well." Uh, Kingsway Fellowship will pay for the conference, $2,200 for a two-day conference. Whew. Now we just got to pay for the rest of it. And there, there's another conference that's not Kingsway, and then there's there's uh, uh, other things going on. But uh, thank God, He's our supply. Yes. See, I'm committed. I'm, I'm committed to the point I bought a ticket. I'm going. If I have to eat Raymond noodles every day, I'm going. I've never had to do that though, by the way. I've taken I've taken granola bars and fruit bars and things like that with me. And usually I wind up either giving them away or bringing them all home. Because Jimmy knows they, they they're all always feeding you something. You never know what what it is, but they're feeding you stuff. Amen. And they and they and everywhere I've gone. John, everywhere I've been, they make good French fries. So I just order French fries. If I don't like whatever that is swimming around in that soup, I just eat the French fries. Amen. So I'm committed. Everybody say we're committed. See, because I may not have the gifts that some people have and the talents that people have. I'm musically retarded, you know, and things, you know, I... Nobody wants to hear me play the drums in Nepal. But I'm telling you, when it comes to encouraging leaders and expanding God's kingdom on the earth and shaking up the nations, I think I've got what it takes. So I'm going to Nepal, going to Zambia. Ruth is going with me. Going to Kenya. I keep saying I'm going to Kenya. And I say it every year. I'm going. I'm going to get there. Amen. There's there's a church I want to preach in. Bridge Church. Caleb Otieno. Remember, we bought him a motorcycle when he was just an evangelist. Well, now he's got a church. <laughs> I want to preach in that church. I want to encourage it. Amen. And and uh, here's what I'm saying to you folks. If not now, when am I going to do it? If not now, when? I'm seven. I'm seventy. I'm not old. I'm trying to keep the old man out. But but uh, people all around me are um, getting promoted into heaven. Some of them are younger than me. Jim Maloney was 60. So you can't count on it. We don't know. The, our days are numbered. And so for the rest of my life, I'm committed to be in 100% and I'm going to sit in the center section front row 
right under the spout where the glory comes out. And I'm going to be first chair or no chair. What chair do you choose to sit in? A lot of people, when they get my age and, and uh, even earlier, they're thinking about rocking chair. They're thinking about swivel chair on the back of their bass boat. They're thinking about, you know, other chairs. A chair in the golf cart. You know. I can't think of anything more boring to do in my life than to fish or play golf. Not when I can be out there winning souls and bringing people into the kingdom and lighting fires under guys like Adam Culp. Amen? I'm telling you, God, God's at work in the world and I want to be out there mixing with it. Praise the Lord. Now, you get to be a part of that because I'm your pastor. You send, you pray. Sometimes you go with me. Sometimes you go in my place. I remember years ago sending Robert Fellows to India in my place. I had a seat on the team that was going to India, and and I just uh, I had just gotten back from Honduras. I was tired. I said, Robert, why don't you go? And I'm so glad he went to my place because it was a trip from hell. <laughs> he still talks about that trip that I conned him into going on. You know. But I mean, it was it was an experience, wasn't it, Rock? Oh yeah. And uh, and and then of course, Brother John went with us. He went with me so many times. He's become proficient at going by himself. And uh, and Wednesday, Dominican Republic, Wednesday. Hey, we'll lay hands on you this morning. Amen. Because even though you've been out many times, you still need hands laid on. Amen. Prayer. Amen. Prayer. See, I, I knew he was planning on going, but I didn't know when. Wednesday. How long are you going to be there? Till Saturday. Installing a water system. Upgrades. Okay. Amen. Praise God. See, John, John's been, I've never been to the Dominican Republic. John's been to Cuba. I've never been to Cuba. And he's been to Tanzania. I've never been there. I mean, there's places that he's gone I've never been. And I'm glad I didn't have to go. You know what I'm saying? We sent Jimmy off by himself to Nepal. His first real out-of-the-country missions trip ever. And uh, I know he was in the Marines and all that. But, but uh, it's kind of like taking a kid who doesn't know how to swim and just throwing him in the deep water. We kind of threw Jimmy in the deep water. But he survived. He came home. Praise God. Amen. God's working, folks, and He's working through Cornerstone Church. But we've we've got we've got to say, hey, we're not we're not. I'm not content to sit in the easy chair. I'm going to I want I want to sit in the achievers chair. Amen. Yesterday we uh, we honored the life and ministry of Georgine Fields, and we talked about her good works and. And it just underscored this whole thing that I'm preaching today. Matter of fact, I didn't have this sermon. It, it, it just started cooking in me yesterday. And I, I got to thinking, she was a re, she's really an inspiration. We Listen, church, we didn't know the half of what that woman 
did in her life. And uh, what, how inspiring that is. And I'll tell you what, uh, she, she was a Kingsway minister, right? You're both Kingsway ministers. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I never heard her preach from the pulpit. Now, I know she did a ladies' meeting and she's done some women of joy things, but, you know, uh, she wasn't a world-acclaimed preacher, you know, but she, she was a preaching machine. She preached everywhere she went. She was a witness in the life she lived. Amen. And she was a word spreader. I'd like to be, I'd like to be a, you know, a, a sparrow on the windowsill in heaven watching her get her reward. It's got to be awesome. She's been there a couple weeks now, so she's probably still counting. She's still counting all of her treasures. <laughs> and you know what? Her partner is still here, and he's still laying up treasure. And so she's going to watch her pile grow while he's still here. And then her children, her grandchildren after her. See, when you get to heaven, it ain't over. It's just beginning. It's just beginning. Praise God. If you'd stand with me, we're just going to pray. And, and uh, I challenge you, think, think about the chair that you occupy. Think about it. You remember, maybe you heard the story about the old man and the old woman driving down a country road in their old pickup truck. She's sitting against the passenger door. He's sitting in the driver's seat. And she's complaining. She said, you remember 